Let's continue worshiping God as we uh, recite the catechism for this week. What does the law of God require? Personal, perfect, and perpetual obedience that we love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbors as ourselves. What God forbids should never be done and what God commands should always be done. Very good. Uh, why don't you take some time and say hi to those around you. Get to know somebody that perhaps you don't know. Uh, you could leave your seats and you could walk around. You could um, just, yeah, say hi. Well, a couple announcements uh, before we get started in today's message. Uh, there is no adult Sunday school, so if you guys were expecting to go to adult Sunday school, just know that uh, there's no adult Sunday school today. Uh, they will continue next week. Uh, the other thing that, that really is, is um, very important for you to RSVP, next, next Sunday? Next Sunday, right? Yeah, next Sunday we are going to have a family luncheon. And what that means is as an English congregation, a lot of times we come to the first service and then we go home or maybe we come and we, we go out to eat. And we don't have a chance to actually get to know one another. And so the purpose of these luncheons is once a month, uh, our congregation will, will intentionally try to sit down and share a meal, get to know one another, find out each other's names and a little bit more what is going on in their life. Hopefully as a congregation, we will uh, learn to love and and. and practice all the one another's, uh, but part of that just means we have to break some ice. So uh, if you haven't RSVP'd, please do so. We need to get a pretty good head count so we could prepare enough food. Uh, the food is not free. We are charging, but it, it will be covered partially by the church. Uh, and finally, pick up your uh, tax receipt. If you haven't picked up your tax receipt, please pick it up. I think next week is the last week that they will be distributing it. If you have not picked it up by then, they will uh, try to send it to you uh, one way or another, but it will take a little bit more time. Uh, let me pray, and then if you need a Bible, go ahead, raise your hand. We'll have one of the ushers bring a Bible over to you. Uh, but will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, um, we are thankful that you allow us to come and worship you. We know half of our church is up in uh, Dodge Ridge, and we pray also for them as they continue to worship you. We pray, God, that as we hear from your word, Lord, would your spirit speak to us, each one of us, individually, specifically, powerfully. Would you sustain my voice? Would your word cause us to come alive? Cause our ears to be open. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. So, I, you know, I want to start off this week. Um, this week it is actually, it is a kind of a difficult week for, for me and my family. Um, 15 years ago, I, I started working here. Almost 15 years ago, I started working at this church. And this is the first uh, full-time ministry that I uh, took on. So I, I suspected that as a youth pastor, I'd be gone many, many evenings, right, with youth group and other, you know, Bible studies. And there'd be lots of weekends that I'd be missing with retreats and whatnot. And so uh, 15 years ago, we decided that, uh, well, I decided it'd be a good idea to get a dog. And, you know, like, well, 
somebody has to protect the house. And so we, we got a dog 15 years ago. And over the years, Maya, our dog, has been like a real great source of joy for us. And so uh, this week has been really hard. She's at a point where we're about ready to say goodbye to her. And it's always hard, right? Because this is a family member that you, you just love and you care for and you spend all this uh, you know, effort and passion and, and you, know, you, you, you have to get ready to say goodbye. But part of the grieving process for us is, is remembering uh, all, the, all the events and all the joys that she has contributed to our family. Uh, I, as I was thinking this week, I was thinking, man, she's really been through a lot with our family. Some of you guys were actually in youth group when this happened. But uh, early on <coughs> in, in ministry for me, uh, after youth group, I came home one night. And really late at night, I, I was decompressing. Everyone else was sleeping or Shimiko was sleeping. I got a, a knock on the door around 1130 at night. And my dog, Maya, just started going nuts. She's like, oh, you know, she's, she's, she's really, like, has a tough growl. I open the door, and there's two policemen at my door. Uh, and, and I said, well, your, your policemen shall come on in. I, I don't know. I, I don't know what you're supposed to do. So <laughs> they come on in, and this mean, tough growl of a dog just starts licking them, right? And she's just, like, the nicest, friendliest, worst guard dog ever. It turns out, like, some of our kids did not go home after... Uh, youth group and they forgot to tell their parents and so I, I got that but she was there she was trying to guard us I remember uh, when our girls were born both of our girls uh, there were many many early morning late nights those of you who still have young children you know and so there were times when <coughs> we would have to in the middle of the night go from our bedroom to the kids bedroom and like feed them or change them or whatever and every time we went uh, Maya would you know bravely just come march with us, right? And she's like, oh, doesn't matter what time it is. She's always with us. And there are times when our, when our kids were sick. And so sometimes uh, either me or my wife would, would sleep in their bedroom with them. And whenever that happened, our dog would always just sleep in that room. She knew. Somehow she knew that they were sick and she would always uh, sleep in their bedroom. There were some uh, funnier moments too uh, as our family continued to grow. Sumiko and I, we would we would counsel people, we would talk with people, we'd have Bible studies at our house. And it would always be during the most like serious conversations. Maya would sit there listening to us talk about spiritual matters and, and all of a sudden the room would just be filled with obnoxious gas. And Maya would look at us as if I didn't do it, but we all know she just like fart. She's famous for her farts. Perhaps what I remember most about our dog is when uh, our oldest child, uh, at one point she was actually attacked and mauled by another dog. And Maya jumped in and um, without her, I don't know if my daughter would have survived. I share all this because there's something powerful about remembering, isn't there? There's something significant when we remember uh, what we have. <coughs> and we remember um, what life was like before we had it. Sometimes when we remember, it changes us and it causes us to refocus our thoughts and it causes us to refocus our hearts, refocus our attitudes. And uh, the little things that bother us, uh, it, it doesn't seem as important. And Paul tells us, actually in the book of Ephesians, Paul tells us 
one thing in the entire first half of the book, in three chapters of Ephesians, there is no command except for one. You could look through the first half of the book and in the whole first half, there, there's not a single command to the church except for this one. And that one command, it's not just any command, right? It's an imperative. It means you must do this, Christian. And the command is to remember. Paul begins by saying, Therefore, this is Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11, following, Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision which is made in the flesh by hands. We're going to pause there. I'm going to talk a little bit about that. During uh, the early church, when Paul was starting these, the, the, the pastoring these early church, the church was comprised primarily of two ethnic groups. Or maybe that's not the right way to say it. Two groups that comprised the church. There were the Jewish Christians, and these were men and women who were raised Jewish. They were taught uh, the Holy Scripture. They kept all the, the Jewish uh, laws. They kept all the Jewish uh, holidays. And then at some point they became Christians and they continued to keep all the things that they were raised with. Uh, they knew that they were God's special chosen people. And then there was everyone else. Now these are called uh, the Gentiles. Literally Gentiles uh, actually just means nation. It, it, it doesn't really mean Greek. It doesn't mean Roman. It, it just means everybody else. It, it's actually very similar in Chinese. I, I always felt this was kind of weird. In Chinese, we would say, uh, you know, we're, we're the um, Chinese people and everybody else is foreigners, right? Like we would classify the whole world into Chinese and foreigners, Chinese and foreigners. And the Jewish mind, it was we, there's Jews and then there's Gentiles. Literally, Gentiles refer to any non-Jew. So that would be all of us, unless one of you... Uh, is, is a Jewish uh, ethnic Jew, uh, we would all be Gentiles. Now, when Scripture talks about Gentiles, sometimes it talks about the Greeks or sometimes it talks about uh, barbarians. And so it's kind of a funny thing because as, it's actually a Greek word, as the Greek culture was going around conquering all these different nations, the Greeks thought they were the best. They said, we have the, the best language, we have the best culture, we have the best gods. And they would go around conquering all these different nations and, and they would hear these different languages and these different dialects. And to them, all these languages sounded odd. And it, to them, in their ears, it sounded like everybody was saying bar, 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 bar. And so that's how the word barbarian came from. All right? We call them barbarians because it, it's this onomatopoeia where we think uh, that that's what they're saying. But the Jews, they also thought they were the best. They thought that they had the one true God, and they had the Holy Scripture, and they were chosen from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so for the Jewish person, they said, our culture is better than all the other cultures. Now you have this brand new church where these two groups are in the same room, worshiping the same God, and there is a lot of historical animosity there. In fact, in, in the... Um, in, in Paul's time, we see that the divisions between Jews and Gentiles was so great that Paul, in fact, incites a riot. You remember in Acts 21, Paul's at this temple and everybody's getting really mad. And the reason they're getting mad is they said this guy brought 
a Gentile into the temple, right? Gentiles were not allowed into the holy place of God. A Jewish person, this is how, I mean, it goes even worse, but if you see a Gentile woman giving birth, a Jewish man and woman, any Jewish person was not allowed to help them give birth. And the reason being is, when a Gentile gives birth, they're adding another despicable Gentile to the world's population. So no Jewish person should uh, dirty themselves by helping this Gentile woman give birth. The animosity was great. But it wasn't supposed to be this way. In fact, if you uh, read your Bibles, you know, way back in Genesis chapter 12, God says to Abraham, uh, at the time he's known as Abraham, he says, Abraham, I'm going to choose you. You are going to be my special person, which will eventually become my special people. Go from your country, your kindred, your father's house to the land that I will show you. I'm going to make you a great nation, you singular person. Now, imagine if somebody told you today, you, you think of yourself, you know, maybe you're dating, maybe you're married, maybe you just have one or two kids, and somebody says, I'm going to make you a nation. You're going to occupy the entire North America. And, and that's what God's saying to Abraham. I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. That means you're going to be famous so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. You see, when God chose Abraham, God did it specifically so that he could pour his blessing onto this one person, onto this group of people, but there was a purpose. The nation of Israel, the Jews, were meant to be a conduit of God's blessing to the world. The nation of Israel was chosen so that they could in turn bless others. And so God said to Abraham and to his descendants, as a sign of my commitment to you, as a sign that you are a holy set apart group of people, you will have the sign of circumcision, which is a cutting of the foreskin of every male Jew. And over time, this sign that was supposed to remind people that they were to be a blessing to the world became a dividing point of contention. If you remember, it's kind of a funny story. David, before he was king, uh, he has this incident with this giant, the Philistine, Goliath. Goliath is standing there and saying, you weaklings, send out your strongest warriors. Right? What does David say to him? You, what? Uncircumcised Gentile. It becomes a derogatory term. Uh, the uncircumcision, which was never meant to be a derogatory term, has turned into one. And then the Jewish nation began to mock those who are not part of the, the covenant. They began to taunt those who were not part of God's chosen people, but they forgot. They forgot that God had chosen them to be a blessing to the world. All they remembered was that we're chosen. We could trace our spiritual lineage all the way back to Abraham. God has given us a promise. He's going to make us a great nation. We're going to be famous. But they forgot the other part. They were, that they were to be a blessing to the whole world. So Paul's talking specifically now to the Gentiles. And he writes to the Gentile Christians in the church. He says this. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, 
having no hope and without God in the world. And what Paul here is saying to all of us here, saying, I want you to remember something. I want you to remember what life was like apart from Christ. What life was like before you came into a saving knowledge with Jesus Christ. And he lists five things. And for those of us here, some of these may be very relevant. Some of these may be more of a stretch. But as we go through them, I want each one of us to consider, what was life like for you before you came into a saving relationship with Jesus? He says the first thing is you were separated from Christ. You had, you had no idea that there was a Messiah. You see, the nation of Israel knew that God was going to save them. They just didn't know when. And they just didn't know who. And they just didn't know how. But they were waiting. And they were waiting. And there was constantly uh, messiahs popping up. But they weren't sure which one it was. But for someone who was not part of the nation of Israel, you, you had no idea. In fact, you're completely blind. You don't know that there's a Savior. You probably didn't even know. I didn't even know that we needed a Savior. And so one of the things we must remember is that we were spiritually blind. We had no idea that there is a God who has a rescue plan for the world. The second thing that Paul says is, remember that you were alienated from the commonwealth. And the language here really is talking about citizenship, membership into the nation of Israel. And what Paul here is saying is, you were not a member, you were not a citizen of the nation of Israel. Now, why is that important? If you look at the Old Testament, in order for a person to be saved, right, or in order for a person to be part of the chosen group, they actually had to become Jewish. Jesus is talking with the Samaritan woman, uh, at, and, and she's kind of trying to evade his, his, uh, his questions a little bit. She's like, well, where, you, where do you worship? And, and Jesus tells her, you Samaritans worship what you do not know, we worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. So if you want to become saved, if you want to be part of this group, you have to first become a Jew. Notice what Ruth says. This is kind of an interesting passage. Sometimes we hear it at weddings. But uh, Ruth, if you know the story, uh, her husband dies along with her brother-in-law and her father-in-law. All the men in that family dies. Her mother-in-law says, hey, you know, why don't you uh, go home? You're young, get married, you have your own kids, live your own life. And she says, no, 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 don't make me do that. I'm going to follow you. And, and what she's saying is, when I follow your people, you're going to be my people. I, I'm basically adopting your culture. And your God is going to be my God. There's this idea that in order to be part of the Jewish nation, you have to first become Jew. right? You have to convert into Judaism. And for those of us who are Gentile, before uh, we, we came into saving knowledge with, with God, right? we were apart. We, we had nothing to do with the nation of Israel. We're not a part of the covenant, once again, Genesis 12. There's actually several covenants, but in Ephesians, he's probably talking about the Abrahamic covenant. He's saying, this particular nation of Israel, I will bless. I will make them great, and I will make them uh, abundant. And whoever blesses them, I'll bless. Whoever curses them, I'll curse. As someone apart from Christ, as a Gentile, you had no part of that blessing. You had no part of that promise. You, you couldn't say, well, God, you promised to bless me because he didn't. God, you promised to make me into a great nation. He, he didn't. He promised it to the nation of Israel. And for those of us who are not Jews, we're not a part of God's blessing. 
because you're without hope. And everybody is without hope, truthfully, right? But you're without hope for salvation. You're without hope for eternal life. You're without hope for justice. Apart from God, there is no uh, means of, of right and wrong. Everybody just did whatever they wanted to do. There's no hope in life. And finally, you're without God. Now, honestly, for all of human history, we all worship gods. And, and when Paul says this, he's saying, you're without the one true God. Now, the Greeks, they actually had a lot of gods. And in fact, they, they found the Jews to be quite odd in that respect. They said, well, you know, what, what, what's the name of your gods? You know, a Jewish person would say, well, well no, it's just, just one God. So, okay, what's the name of your God? Well, we don't say his name. It's, it's so holy, right? And it's just this odd interchange. And, and the, the Roman and the Greek would say, well, we have hundreds. It's okay. We could just add them to the pantheon and say, no, no, no. We only have one God. It doesn't matter if you're Roman or Greek, Chinese, Japanese, Asian. It doesn't matter. We all worship a God. It could be ourselves. It could be our job. It could be money. It could be a God made of stone and, and wood. We all worship a God, but without the one true God, we don't worship the Yahweh God. And Paul tells you, and he tells me, I want you to remember what your life was like. Not, not to make you wallow in, in pity, not to make you sad and depressed. I, I want you to remember the richness and the beauty, the wonder of the gospel, because when we remember what our life was like apart from Jesus Christ, it causes us to be grateful. And then once again, we, we, we mentioned these two words. Paul uses the same transition. It's the, perhaps the most beautiful transition, but now. You Gentiles, you were once apart from God. You Gentiles, you were once alienated from the commonwealth. You Gentiles, you had no part of the promise. You had no hope. You had no God. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once were far off and have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. And here's the gospel message. Hopefully you were thinking about what life was like before Christ. And now the gospel comes in and Paul tells us, but now in Christ, you who are once far off, you've been brought near. You're close. God embraced. There's this song we just sang. It's wonderful. Come to the altar. The Father's arms are opened wide. That's exactly the image that Paul tells us. You've been brought near. God says, I want you in the family. You are wandering in the far off land. You thought you had to come back and work your way into my good graces. No, I'm waiting for you. I want you. Come. He says, you, once, you weren't a citizen, but now you're a member. You're, you're a citizen. This, this is kind of cheesy. I thought it was funny, though. Passport to heaven. Of course, it's an eagle. Uh, consequently, you are no longer foreigner or stranger, but you're a fellow citizen. God, God's saying, you have every right and privilege that a member of my nation has. Not only are you, you welcome in, you have the rights. You're not going to be a servant. You're not going to have to pour water for everyone. You're not going to have to work your way up. You, you're a citizen. You're an heir. Later on in chapter 3, the mystery that Paul talks about, this mysterion that, that we keep on hearing about, is that the Gentiles and the Jews together is one body. They share together in the promise of Christ Jesus. We are co-heirs. In Christ. 
And we have this living hope, Peter tells us. You once, apart from Christ, you had no hope. What, what hope do you have? You work hard, you make lots of money, and then you die. What future did you have that you could talk about, that you could share with? But now, with Christ, there is this living hope in each one of us because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this all happened. Oh, and not, not only were we once uh, not a part of God's family, but now, now we're members of God's household. God says, welcome to the family. That, that's exactly the theme that we're trying to, to, to talk about throughout this year. You are God's family. We are God. This church is God's family. And every person that is a follower of Jesus Christ, you are a brother and sister. I know sometimes it's kind of weird. We don't really use the word brother and sister a lot. Some churches, they, they call each other brother sisters. I think in the Chinese uh, congregation, you hear that more often, right? Everybody's like sister, brother in Chinese. But in English, we, you know, we, we like our individualism. But what Paul here is talking about, what the Bible is talking about is we are literally spiritual family. And in fact, you should be closer to your spiritual brother and sister than perhaps even physical blood if they don't share the same hope that you have. Think about that. That is a profound thing that Paul is saying. He's saying that this church family transcends perhaps even your blood family because you have this new hope in Jesus Christ. That's what Christ did on the cross. That's what God did for us. That's the amazing message of the gospel for you and for me. And there's practical implications for this as well, for us as the family of Christ, because Christ comes and he says, I come to be your peace. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one. He's broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God and one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. In the midst of this great animosity, in the midst of this racial divide, in the midst of, of this hostility and hatred for one another, Christ steps in and he tears down every single wall that exists. And he says, this church, this humanity, these people who are my people, there will be no more hostility. I'm going to tear down that wall. And in fact, I think as Paul is talking about this, I think he's thinking specifically about the temple. The, because as, as Gentiles, you could only go up so far uh, before you could not go up any further. Christ comes to be our peace by breaking down the wall. Actually, on the wall, this is they, they found a couple of these inscriptions on the on the the wall facing the, the court of Gentiles. On these uh, stones, it was inscribed, no foreigner is to go beyond the balustrades and the plaza of the temple zone. Whoever is caught doing so will have himself to blame for his death, which will follow. Quite literally, there was a wall separating the Jews and the Gentiles. And if they wanted to get closer to God, they would die. Right? And, and this temple wall, Paul, Paul here is saying is, in Christ Jesus, he comes and brings peace by tearing down whatever walls you have. Both literal 
and metaphorical. What walls do we have that we build up amongst uh, ourselves? What walls do you have that you say, you know, I, I know we worship together, but I don't like sitting with them, right? They're, they're like stinky and they're dirty. They're not smart. They're too young. They sing with an accent. They're not, they're not this or they're not that. Or I don't like the way they look. They don't worship the same way as I they don't. They don't have the same political views that I do. Isn't, isn't that so true today? Right? We, we become such a divided nation on so many different things. But within this building, within this church, Paul says no. Because Christ is our peace. And he's torn down every wall of hostility that we can possibly put up. He does this by abolishing the laws that separated uh, the Jews from the Gentiles. And what this means is um, the Jewish nation were given laws and, and they kept the laws and they said, look, we're so good. God is so pleased with us. But they forget that the law never saves anybody. The, the law only points out that we're sinners. The law only reminds us, hey, you know, this law is here to remind you that you're going to break it. And when you break it, you need a savior. You need somebody to rescue you. The law doesn't save us. And Christ comes. And Christ keeps the perfect law. It's a little bit like our catechism. He perfectly obeys everything that God commanded. Thus making the law nullified, abolished. It means inoperative. Because in Christ, we don't need to keep the law. We can't keep the law, but in Christ. In Christ, when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, Christ's righteousness is counted as our, our very own. Christ abolishes the law by keeping the law. In Christ, his righteousness is given to us and we're both brought together. Whatever wall of hostility you may have in your hearts and in your minds, in this church, Christ tears it down. And it's this incredible picture because it doesn't, Paul doesn't say, you know, and, and what Christ does is he makes all the Gentiles into Jewish Gentiles, right? He doesn't say that. Nor does he say all the Jews, now they have to act like they're, they're Greeks or they're something else. He says, no, I'm going to take two separate things, the Jewish nation and everyone else, and I'm going to smash them together and out comes a completely different thing. He, he makes two into one new humanity. And that's the church. That's me. He says, I come to bring peace by tearing down the walls, by fulfilling the laws, by abolishing the laws. And in me, I'm taking two, and I'm going to create a brand new humanity. That's the church. That's what we are here today. When we worship today, together, we are showing the world we are a new thing. We're not like the rest of the world, where our tribalism rules, where our racial identity rules, where our social economic demographic rules we're saying Christ rules because we're in Christ and we'll reconcile to God because we're in Christ 
And all that is done by Christ on the cross. In this body of Christ, we're able to exercise and we're able to practice what it means to have walls of hostility torn down, divisions removed. In this building, we can practice what this new humanity looks like. And that, in short, is what the gospel has done for us. The gospel has given us hope. The gospel has given us a future. It's given us a promise. It's given us citizenship. The gospel has given us God himself. But the gospel gives us a picture for what we are to look like here on this earth. So what does that look like for us today? You know, where does that leave us? I think what Paul teaches, we all say, oh, that's good, you know. Um, Some of us, we might be thinking, well, good thing. We're not like anti-Semitic. Good thing, uh, you know, there's, there's no Jews in our congregation that we have to wrestle with this. Good thing we don't have these racial divisions that, that Paul faced. But any time we find our primary identity in our race, our cultural preference, or language, or any other thing apart from Christ, and we elevate it above others, or we look down upon others, we rebuild the wall that Christ has torn down. You know, if we're honest, we know in our nation, we continue to wrestle with race. We continue, Martin Luther King said decades ago that uh, Sunday morning, 11 o'clock, is still the most segregated time in our nation. It's true. And some of us, we think, well, you know, we might be people of color, we're minorities, so we're, we're not really part of this conversation. But the truth is, even here in this building, even here in this church, we have racial division. Sometimes we we don't even think about it. Sometimes we think, well, you know, there's a Chinese way of doing things, which seems old-fashioned, and then there's the ABC way of doing things, which is awesome, right? And and we might not think, oh, you know, we're just being funny. We're creating division, aren't we? We say, oh, you know, uh, that Chinese congregation, the way they do things, it's so, like, old-fashioned, or they, they, uh, we could do it better. We, We have this pride. Go the other way. Like, oh, those ABCs, they don't have any respect. They don't know what they're doing. They're young. We can't trust them. Even within our church and even within our hearts, even within our own families, perhaps, we have these divisions. And maybe it's not racial. Maybe it's how educated people are. You know, as a culture, we love education. We love degrees. And we love letters after our names. And the more letters, the better, right? It's, it doesn't matter if it actually translate into a higher salary, just better. It's better to have more letters after your name. And we look at somebody with a college education, and we look at somebody with just a high school education, and we think, what can that person teach me? How can that person lead this Bible study? How can that person disciple me? Maybe it's not college ec- education. Maybe it's the way we think. You know, this guy, he, he's super fundamental. Right? He, he's like ultra conservative. Come on, get with the times. That's, that's not the world we live in anymore. Or, or look at this person. Oh my God, he's this flaming liberal. Like how, how, can, how can you even call yourself a Christian? We create these barriers. And Christ says, I've come to be your peace. I've come to tear down the walls of hostility. Maybe it's for some of us, it's how we do church. I can't believe these guys don't sing hymns every week. 
Don't they love Jesus? Or, or how come they're not wearing suits to church? Oh my goodness, this guy has no respect for God. Anytime we elevate our personal preference, we risk rebuilding the walls that Christ has torn down. I want to end with a story that really, you know, as I was reading the story, just really illustrates this idea that in Christ there's a new humanity. In Christ there's no more barriers. And in 1992, in the nation of Rwanda, many of you uh, probably heard about this, probably one of the, the worst uh, civil wars in that area um, between two tribes, the Hutus and the Tutsis. Now, uh, anthropologists will look at these two tribes and say, you know, honestly, we, we can't tell a difference. Ethnically, they, they seem to be the same. They, they look the same, but there's a stereotype that uh, the, the Tutsis were taller and the, the Hutus were shorter. But ethnically, religiously, uh, geographically, they seem to be indistinguishable. But in the early 90s, Rwanda was going through the civil war between the Hutus and the Tutsis. The Tutsis were the minority group but they actually controlled most of the government for many years. And they dominated the country politically, they dominated the nation financially, and after years of colonial rule, uh, the hostility finally boiled over and is during the Civil War that they experienced perhaps one of the most brutal genocide any country has experienced. There was a hundred days where nearly a million Tutsis were slaughtered. And you might remember hearing this in the news, uh, neighbors were, were killing neighbors. They, they were going and killing classmates that they had grown up with. People who, who they, they lived with were, were killing one another. So in 1992, uh, Alice, who was a Tutsi, she had taken refuge in a church uh, when the killings began. Uh, she brought her nine-month-old daughter and her nine-year-old niece along with some other children. Uh, Hutus threw bombs into that church. And she fled the church, and she, she ran into a swamp. She was holding her nine-month-old and her nine-year-old niece, and she was hiding in the swamp. And Hutus found her, and they came for her. Emmanuel was a Hutu who happened also to be a classmate of Alice. He came with other Hutu men with machetes. He found Alice. He chopped off her arm. He, he sliced at her face. There's a deep gouge in her face. Him, along with other men, killed her nine-month-old daughter and her nine-year-old niece. And they left Alice for dead in the swamp. Miraculously, she survived. Three days later, she was found by other survivors, and they, they helped uh, care for her. Eventually, after the Civil War, many of those Hutus who had committed these war crimes, these, these atrocities, uh, they were caught. Or some of them turned themselves in, including Emmanuel. And Emmanuel served six years in prison for his war crimes. After his prison term, Emmanuel made a point to seek forgiveness from all those he had hurt. Many were dead, so he sought out their families. And on one day, he saw Alice. He recognized her because he saw the scar on her face, and he said, I thought she was dead. And he wrestled with this. He said, how, how can I face her? How, how could you face someone that you physically marred and you killed their child? But Emmanuel knew that he had to seek forgiveness. Well, when Alice saw him, when, when Emmanuel came up 
to seek her forgiveness, Alice fainted. All the, all the trauma just came flooding back and she just fainted. Eventually he, he told her, I am so sorry for what I did. It was wrong. I was so stupid. Will you forgive me? And Alice really wrestled with, with this forgiveness. But Alice knew that now she was a Christian. She knew that the Bible says we must forgive if we want to be forgiven. And she, she also said, how can I receive the forgiveness of God if I can't forgive those who hurt me? And so with her husband, Alice forgave Emmanuel. And today, not only are they worshiping in the same church together, they, they worship, they literally sit together as they worship. They work in the same organization, giving housing to those who are victims of the genocide. They spend time together. Their children are now friends. And it's because in Christ, God has broken down every wall of hostility. It's only because of Christ that there can be true peace. It's only because of what Christ has done that we could actually get together and be this new humanity. It's in Christ God makes us new. So a few things for us to consider. Remember what Christ has done for you. What was life like before you came into a saving relationship with God? Some of us were like, ah, it wasn't too bad. I can't really remember. It, it's okay. And I think that's when we really need to just consider what has God done for us on the cross? We were without hope. We were without a future. We're without God. And when we remember, be grateful, be thankful, praise God, worship God, and say, God, you are so good. Thank you. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Who do you create a barrier against? And, and I, I, I would guess that most of us, we say, well, I don't. A lot of us, we might even be blind to the way we create barriers. And sometimes it requires asking someone else. Sometimes it requires us praying and saying, God, there's this division in my heart. I don't know why it's there. But I know that you came to be our peace and you came so that we wouldn't have these divisions. Would you remind me that in your flesh these walls have been torn down? Help me to love. Help me to forgive. Help me to be the new humanity with this person. And how can you live out this new humanity? That, that's the church, right? The church is the God's shining example. This is what life looks like in the kingdom of God. This is what life looks like when there's no walls, there's no divisions. How can you live out this new humanity? How can you break down walls within this church? Maybe for some of us, we just come to church and we're kind of this consumer. We just come and we take and then we leave. And, and we don't really pour into the life of the church. We don't really commit to this church and say, you know, I want to be a, a part of this body. I want to serve. I want to love. I want to receive. And we just come and we take and we go. And I encourage you, be a part of this new humanity here, this church. Pour into this life. Learn what it means to love, to give, to serve, to be served by this body that God has given to you. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you. God, there is so much to be thankful for. We're so often we forget 
I guess that's why you tell us to remember, uh, because it's easy to gloss over the past. It's easy to uh, take for granted all that you have blessed us with. So Heavenly Father, would we remember well? Would we, we remember your mighty works, your saving power in our lives? Would we remember our hopelessness, our, our lostness apart from you? And will we, in turn, live lives full of gratitude, living out this new humanity that you have called us to live? We pray these things in your son's name. Amen.